Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I've Seen Better Days edition as we perform a post-game autopsy on Sunday's 27-3 loss in Baltimore. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and in-depth analysis from Dave Lapham. And this week's Fun Facts segment is with rookie Akeem Davis-Gaither as we discuss a wide variety of topics, including the big chair in his hometown of Thomasville, North Carolina. If you would like to see what I'm talking about, just do a Google search for the big chair. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the reunion of Chad Johnson and Carson Palmer. Until last week, I had never heard of a show put together by NFL Films called The Grind. It features behind-the-scenes access with former NFL stars. New episodes appear every Wednesday on the Epics Network, E-P-I-X, which I had also never heard of until last week. Well, on last Wednesday's episode, Chad Johnson traveled to Idaho to hang out at Carson Palmer's house. And it was tremendous. They reminisced about their Cincinnati days. And then we got to listen into their conversation as they watched Joe Burrow lead the Bengals to last week's win over Jacksonville. And following the game, there was a special two-way hookup that allowed that 9-85 combination talk to the current 9-85 combo of Burrow and T. Higgins. If you don't have the Epics Network, a few short clips have found their way to the internet. Just search for Chad Johnson, Carson Palmer, The Grind. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. Last year, the Ravens set an NFL record by rushing for 3,296 yards, an average of 206 a game. Lamar Jackson obviously led the way, but he's hardly the only running threat, as the Bengals found out on Baltimore's second play. Here's an end around for DuVernay, third round draft pick rookie, runs to the 35, the 40, sideline 50, Bengals territory 40, and he'll be shoved out of bounds near the Cincinnati 30-yard line. They mark him out at the 31. That 42-yard end around led to a 46-yard Justin Tucker field goal, giving Baltimore an early 3-0 lead. The second time Baltimore got the ball, the Ravens converted on 3rd and 5, 3rd and 1, 3rd and 7, and 3rd and 14 before facing their 5th 3rd down of the drive. 3rd down and goal from the 5. Shotgun snap, Lamar Jackson fires into the end zone, caught by Boyle. A make that Andrews for the Ravens touchdown. It was 10-0 Ravens after two drives for each team and things got worse on the Bengals' third possession. Third and 10, the Bengals at their own 25-yard line. Three receivers left, two right. Burrow waiting for the shotgun snap. He has the ball, he's in trouble. Flings it downfield, and it's intercepted by Peters at the 42-yard line. Running back to the 35, and T. Higgins tackles him at the 32. Boy, that's, that's the kind of mistake you can't make. Joe Burrow's desperation heave under duress was intended for A.J. Green. The only pass thrown his way before he spent the second half on the bench with a hamstring injury. And it was a strange-looking play as A.J. didn't jump for the ball. Here's Zach Taylor. I was standing right there on the line side of A.J. I did not think that he could have made that play. He probably didn't even know where the ball was, to be quite honest with you, when it went over his head. Through five games, A.J. has 14 catches, 
for 119 yards. His longest catch all year was for a 15-yard gain. We'll have more on that with Dave Lapham in just a bit. The Marcus Peters INT gave the Ravens a short field and led to their third score in as many drives to make it 17-0 early second quarter. First and goal from the three. Pistol formation for Lamar Jackson with Mark Ingram behind. Jackson does a 360-degree spin, throws into the end zone, caught for the touchdown by Hollywood Brown. Number 15, Marquise Hollywood Brown had six catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. Number 89, Mark Andrews also had six catches. His went for 56 yards and a touchdown. And they were targeted on more than half of Lamar Jackson's 37 passes. Here's Jesse Bates. Uh, we know where Lamar wants to go, either 15 or 89. And, and I mean, it showed up today as well. That's all, I mean, that's all he was really throwing to uh, today was 15 and 89. With a 17 point lead in the second quarter, Baltimore unleashed its pass rush hitting Burrow 10 times and sacking him three times in the first half. Burrow has a man on either side as he waits for the shotgun snap. He's back to throw, pump fakes. Burrow with plenty of time, now uh -oh. scrambling left and drilled from behind by his former college teammate Patrick Queen, who comes away with a football. Man, it was a, a blindside shot. Joe Burrow had no idea Queen was closing in on him like he was. And right now, Martindale is smelling the blood. And he's just bringing linebackers. He's bringing defensive backs. He's bringing everybody. He's bringing one more than the Bengals can block. Martindale is Baltimore's defensive coordinator, Don Wink Martindale, whose blitz-happy approach was too much for Joe Burrow and the Bengals' offensive line. He had a good plan. Um, we just didn't execute our plan very well. I didn't play very well. And we as an offense didn't play very well. So he's got to get fixed. What can you do better? I mean, is it is it matter a matter of everybody getting on the same page against that, those blitz looks, or what is it? Uh, well, personally, I can get the ball out of my hands faster. I can, um, you know, I wasn't very accurate today, uh, which was disappointing to me. Um, you know, I thought we had a great week of practice, and it just didn't carry over. Joe, you talked about getting rid of it quicker, but but were they doing things to to take maybe your hot reads away where you you couldn't do that at times? You know, they do a good job of. You know, popping guys out into the middle um, to take away those middle throws and and bringing guys that you don't have accounted for and, and not bringing the guys you do have account, accounted for. So they had a good plan. You know, they're a good defense, a really good team. While the Bengals' offense struggled all day, their defense was outstanding for the final three quarters, holding the Ravens to just one field goal on Baltimore's final eight drives, not including a kneel down on the final play of the game. Jackson finished with just three yards rushing and 180 yards passing with a passer rating of 71.9. Third down and 10 at the Cincinnati 27. Lamar Jackson's short pass it. is intercepted. It's picked off by Logan Wilson at the 24-yard line. The rookie's second NFL pick, and the Bengals take over with 113 left in the half. Here are Jesse Bates and Tyler Boyd. I think we did a good job defensively, um, but when you're playing against really good teams like this, the the room for error is just really small. Um, you just can't, you know, I don't, I don't care how, um, you know, our offense isn't playing up to our standard, uh, but I don't care how bad that is. Um, we just have to keep it close. The defense played a heck of a game. And for us on the other side, you know, wasn't wasn't too pretty. And uh, that, that's what really hurts me, you know, because we we put the time and we, we, we put so much time in and repetition to this, man, it's just, it just didn't work for us. And it was a rude awakening for Burrow. After throwing for at least 300 yards in each of his previous three games, Joe was 19 for 30 for 183 yards with no touchdowns, one interception, 
two fumbles, and a passer rating of 66.4. Shotgun snap, Burrow in trouble again and sacked again, this time by Humphrey, Free a runner. cornerback coming from the edge back at the 35-yard line. Hit number 15, sack number seven. Burrow has been sacked 22 times already. That's number one in the NFL, three more than Carson Wentz. So, how is Joe dealing with it? You just deal with it and come back and fight every play like, like I have been. Burrow's former LSU teammate Patrick Queen scored a defensive touchdown in the fourth quarter, scooping up a Mike Thomas fumble that was punched out by Marlon Humphrey, his specialty, with Queen running 53 yards to the house to make it 27-0. The Bengals hadn't been shut out in 51 games since, who else, Baltimore blanked them in the 2017 season opener. This time, Cincinnati avoided the goose egg with less than a minute to go. Randy Bullock, 12 for 13 so far this year. Harris snaps to Huber. Here's the swing of the leg, and the kick is good. So the Bengals avoid the shutout, and they trail 27-3 with 32 seconds to go. That was the final. 27-3, Taylor and Burrow sum up a sobering day. We, we know where the issues were. We knew we had to be efficient on first, second down. And we had three turnovers, uh, minus yardage plays, which, which in some cases can be really avoidable. And when you do that against the Baltimore Ravens, they're going to make you pay for it, and it's going to feel like that. You know, we're building a culture here. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Today, obviously, wasn't great, but you know, we're going to look back on this day in, in a few years and say, wow, you know, that kind of propelled us forward. You know, we're going to keep working hard. we got great people within the organization, on the team, and a great coaching staff. So, you know, we're going to keep working hard, keep come, coming to work every day to, to win games. This is a resilient team. It's a very connected team. Um, it's unfortunate that, that we put this performance on the field, playing and coaching. Uh, but, again, we're not going to hit the panic button. We're going to regroup and be ready for the Colts. It's off to Indy next Sunday for the Bengals' fourth road game in their first six. The Colts are 3-2, and two after losing to Cleveland 32-23. And here's how things look in the AFC North. The Steelers are 4-0, the Ravens and Browns are 4-1, and the Bengals are 1-3-1. The best division in football so far. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now let's get some post-game analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. All right, Lap. Final score, twenty-seven to three. It actually felt more lopsided than that, and that's pretty lopsided. The Bengals could not protect Joe Burrow, similar to the Philadelphia game a couple of weeks ago. Even though, though that one ended in a tie, fifteen hits for the Ravens, seven quarterback sacks through five games. Joe Burrow has been hit fifty times, according to official NFL stats. He's been sacked twenty-two. That would project to 160 hits and 70.4 sacks. The NFL single season record for a quarterback is 76 when David Carr was the number one overall pick and a rookie. And that's uh, David Carr's career didn't last very long. And you don't want that to be the case for Joe Burrow. Um, you know, the mental part of it, the confidence part of it, everything that goes along with it, it's just, you know, you start taking these blindside shots and, and it's just, you know, you start to lose confidence in what's happening around you. And it's human nature. I don't care who you are. I mean, it, how, would, how would you like it if you're standing in the pocket or, you, or you're running, you're running uh, 10 yards sideline side to sideline in the field and somebody just hits you with something in your back and you, you don't know when it's going to happen, you don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen at some point. 
that's that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, it's a, it's it's not a pleasant scenario. So, going to have to start uh, doing things to protect him. Maybe he should start thinking about protecting himself a little bit better too. You know, at times, and and uh, there's that balancing act between when do I extend and create, as opposed to just live for another play and don't try to make too much out of something out of nothing. You know, something that's not there. Um, so it, it's 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 a learning process, I think, for all involved. Uh, bottom line is everybody just has to get better, though, because you know if you this Ravens defense, once there was blood in the water, you talk about sharks that are frenzied. I mean, it was like everybody was begging. I mean, they were going up and they were begging Wink Martindale, bring me, blitz me, let me have a piece of this action. I mean, it was like, you know, they put seven or eight guys up the line of scrimmage. You don't know which ones are coming. So you call a protection to, to what you think might protect uh, a, a certain look. And they do something totally different. They bring the guys that you haven't accounted for and the guys you have accounted for drop off into coverage. And that's what's so tough about them. And then when they get a lead, they do it over and over and over. When it's third and six or seven or more, they're going to do it until you, can, until you beat it. If you beat it with some kind of blitz breaker, um, you know, some sort of a, a blitz beater or blitz breaker at some point in time, you know, he may reconsider um, we talked about before the game in the Thursday night game, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green personally with pre-snap reads and sight adjusts and all that um, beat the blitz. And Martindale stopped blitzing for a quarter and a half. Totally uncharacteristic. But this one, man, once he got up 17 nothing and started you know, testing the waters, he found them to be delightful. I'm not sure that an assistant coach has ever been on a TV screen more than Don Wink Martindale was during the course of that game. By the way, he is not related to Winston Wink Martindale, member of the American TV Game Show Hall of Fame. There is such a thing. But here's what really helped this Wink Martindale. The Bengals faced third and 10 twice, third and 11 twice, third and 21, third and 24, third and 25. That is not going to work against the Baltimore Ravens. Third and 21, third and 24, third and 25. Penalties. You're self-destructing. You're saying to the Ravens, "We're not only going to let you blitz us. We're going to we're going to say it's we we have a quarter of the football field to cover if we just to get back to the line of scrimmage. So you're stupid if you don't blitz us. I mean, it's like, oh man, I don't care who you're playing against. If you're third and twenty plus, it's a no-win situation. Against the Ravens, you might as well just take a knife and slit yourself. I mean, it's like it's suicidal, and you can't be in those situations." You don't want to be in third and seven or more, never mind third and 20 or more. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, Wink Martindale saying, well, I know Halloween's not to the end of the month, but I'm going to, it's like taking candy from a baby. I'm going to go make my candy right now. I'm going to get after the Bengals and blitz them to death if they're going to help like that. Until this football team, this football team is nowhere near good enough to help the opponent. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's absolutely... It's, it's nonsensical to think that they can put themselves in situations like that. Nonsensical. By the way, is the original Wink Martindale up there on a level with Bob Barker and Alex Trebek on the all-time game show hosts? Or is he on that next tier with Pat Sajak, Bob Eubanks, and others? I got him on level two. Max, Max, <laughs> Max. Uh, Alex Trebek still, I mean, battling cancer in his 80s, still getting it done. My hero.
Barker and Trebek. That is that is a that level is, above. That's Mount Rushmore. All right, let's talk about the defense's performance. Obviously didn't start great. Ravens scored on their first three drives. That that second drive that went for a touchdown, third down was a killer. They converted five times on third down, including third and 14. But after the first three drives of the game, three points for the Ravens offense on their last eight drives. That's getting it done. It is getting it done. And uh, Luana Rumo and company, take a bow. You know, they spied the quarterback with at various levels with guys that can tackle him. You know, spy with a linebacker that can run, Logan Wilson. Phillips was kind of, in some blitz packages, was kind of like spying on his own. He would delay the blitz and, and, and just really give Lamar Jackson a lot of problems. Took away the outside running game. Uh, and, and when he tried to extend plays in the passing game, there was somebody all over him. I mean, they had a hell of a game plan. They really did. To think that Lamar Jackson, the leading rusher on the football team, ended the game with three yards rushing where he was like fifth or sixth leading rusher on the football team speaks volumes. I mean, they took away a massive part of the Baltimore Ravens' offensive productivity, Lamar Jackson's legs, and they made him, you know, have to throw the football. And, you know, my thought was, I hope he has to throw it 25 times more. He basically did that in the first half, I think. It was close to 25 times. Finished with 37 throws. Yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's right in. And they gave up 20 points. I mean, one of the, the last touchdown was an unscripted score against the Bengals' offense when Humphrey punched it out and uh, Patrick Queen picked it up and ran to the house with it. That has nothing to do with the defensive football team. So they played winning football. You hold the Baltimore Ravens to 20 points in Baltimore, that's winning football. The problem is to give up 17 on the first three drives, that made life easier for Don Wink Martindale to made the, make the decisions that he made to make it harder on the offense to try to generate anything. I mean, you can't let them jump out to that kind of lead. If, if, if they get a lead, it can't be a three-score lead in a quarter. Literally, they were up 17.6 seconds into the second quarter. That's brutal, brutal. So, you know, the only, the only negative, the only knock on the defense would be that, that allowed them to accumulate that kind of lead, you know, early in the game. But, again, the offense didn't do anything to, you know, to help their own situation. They didn't score. You know, I mean, they didn't score till. In the last minute of the football, the last few seconds of the football game, I mean, it was a, a tough, tough day, a tough day at the office for everybody involved in the offensive side of things for the Bengals. So we had our first mini controversy of the season on Thursday when Carlos Dunlap complained to reporters about his removal from the starting lineup, although he played reasonably well today. And now we've got this postgame controversy that has sprung up regarding A.J. Green. I didn't see it while we were broadcasting the game, but there's a clip on the internet where he appears to be saying, just trade me, according to lip readers. It's dangerous to try to do that. Who knows if that's really what he was saying. Uh, A.J. was only targeted once. That was uh, an interception where he never saw the throw. Uh, then he re-aggravated the hamstring, or, or maybe it's the other leg, I don't know, but he sat out the rest of the game. I hate to see this with A.J. Green. I mean, the epitome of class, uh, nothing that would – anything negative about his tenure with the Bengals. But but if he did say, just trade me, I, I'm not sure what he would be upset about where the Bengals are concerned. They're, they're paying him, obviously, uh, on the franchise tag. They're playing him, paying him and playing him. And so far he just has not been able to uh, get open and consistently catch the ball. Yeah, I mean, they're paying him almost $18 bucks for the season. It's a pretty good job. I'll take that work, that dog will hunt. Um, you know, I mean, frustration. We saw it boil over with, with uh, Carlos Dunlap. Now it's boiling over with A.J. Green. 
Everybody's frustrated, though. And I know those guys experienced the five straight playoff games, five straight playoff seasons, I should say. And, you, you, you know, the bar gets set at a certain height. And then all of a sudden the team starts to struggle. And, uh, you know, for as good as it was in the record-setting five straight seasons going to the postseason, uh, it's been record-setting in the opposite direction here in this phase of it. So, you know, that's when frustration boils over. And my thing is, it's easy to play and be happy and satisfied when you win in football games. The true test is when you're in the situation that you're in right now. And you're still getting paid. You're getting paid to perform. You're getting paid to, to give, you know, put your best foot forward and give everything you've got, you know, to the organization for the, for the betterment of, of the entire organization. So I, I understand it's tough. Been there. I was on four and 12 football teams. I was on 12 and four football teams. I understand. And I know it's, it's night and day. It's north and south pole. Um, but believe me, I mean, you got to, you have to pride yourself on the fact that no matter what, you were giving full effort and giving everything you possibly could from a contribution standpoint to help turn it around when it was poor and to sustain a level of excellence when it was good. That's what you're getting paid to do. Right now, unfortunately, these two teams are not close. Baltimore had the best record in the NFL during the regular season last year, 14-2. and two. They had 12 Pro Bowlers a year ago. They lost one when they let Earl Thomas go. They traded for Calais yeah. Campbell, who's a five-time Pro Bowler. They drafted Patrick Queen in the first round. He was excellent today. They drafted J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Any Ohio State fan knows what he's capable of doing. This is an exceptionally good Baltimore team that, uh, you know, last two meetings are 76-16. to 16. I don't think it's that lopsided, but uh, unfortunately the Bengals have a long way to go to catch up to the Ravens right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, uh, you end up uh, saying, all right, you beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and, and in my mind, you know, that was, in my mind, the big test because they didn't have a dozen Pro Bowlers. You know, they had one, and the Chargers had multiple Pro Bowlers in the defensive line. Cleveland had a Pro Bowl in the defensive line. Philadelphia had multiple Pro Bowls in the defensive line. Jacksonville had one, but, you know, one time, first Pro Bowl. Baltimore's got multiple Pro Bowlers in Baltimore, at Indianapolis, Cleveland, Tennessee, at Pittsburgh, 15-3. and Now it's 16-3 and and maybe better, depending on how these other games pan out. So you're looking at, you know, after, after that stretch, you got the Redskins at Washington, the Giants at Miami, Dallas. I mean, those, those, uh, those four teams right there are the reverse. You know, they're all struggling. But, you know, it's like... You have to put yourself in a position. These these teams, like you said, Dan, the difference, the differential between where where the Ravens are and where the Bengals are. If you if you don't play to your highest level, you're going to get embarrassed. And the Bengals played C minus football, maybe C, I don't know, better than C minus because the defense I think was much better. Special teams were solid. The phase that let them down obviously was the offense and let them down dramatically. They had a failing grade, so it brings everybody down. But say it's C. And if the Ravens, um, who offensively didn't play, you know, as well as they've been playing, but their defense was lights out, uh, if they if they play, you know, B plus or better, you're, you're going to see this kind of thing. So you have to try to get, you have to try to perform at the highest level you possibly can, up to your capabilities. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. I mean, right now you're you're trying to build toward getting closer to these upper echelon teams. When you don't play at your, at a good level, you're going to be embarrassed by these upper, upper echelon teams. All right, just to wrap it up, to reconfirm, you have 
86-year-old Winston Wink Martindale, the famed game show host of Tic-Tac-Doe, High Rollers, and other shows, ranked as a second-tier all-time game show host a notch below Barker and Trebek. Trebek and Bar- Barker was Barker was great. Barker's my man. And they say they say Barker, he had some beautiful women by his side. Barker's beauties. At all times, yeah. Barker's beauties. And there was a reason for Barker's beauties. Bob Barker was the man. <laughs> there was brutal injury news in the game as DJ Reader was taken off the field on a cart. And according to the NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, it's a quadriceps injury that's expected to keep Reader out for the rest of the season, pending further tests. Let's finish this edition of the podcast with something more cheerful. It's this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither from Thomasville, North Carolina, known as the Chair City because of the furniture industry in that area. And Thomasville's most famous landmark, from what I understand, (laughs) is the big chair. (laughs) Tell us about the big chair. Uh, Is this really like a a huge chair, like a statue in the middle of the town? Uh, People come take pictures on it. I think during December, I don't know if they still do that. They put like a big old Santa Claus up there. It's been there for a while. It's a chair that's 30 feet tall and 10 feet wide. Somewhere in the... uh, Family archives, there's a picture of you in front of the big chair. Probably for prom. Before the prom. Yeah. People meet up there, uh, take pictures, because they got like a fountain right next to it. I love it. Sounds like a great picture. We're doing fun facts with Akeem Davis-Gaither. Tell us a little bit about growing up there and what you like to do as a kid. Uh, it's really like a small town. Uh, probably every, every other person, probably my cousin of some, some sort. Uh, so everybody knows everybody. The, my friends I grew, I still talk to them today. Uh, we used to do like adventurous stuff, uh, playing outside, run through the woods. Um, we used to do something stupid, uh, play tackle football on the street, which is crazy. <laughs> in high school, it came you lettered in football, basketball, baseball, and track. Did sports always come easily to you? My family just known for sports, so I don't know if it came easily, but uh, my dad was always a coach. Uh, my brother and sister, they were basketball, basketball players, so everybody wanted to be the best in the house, so we was always striving for that. You played high school football for a coach named Alan Brown, who's coached at that high school for three decades, more than 300 wins. Yeah, he, he coached, coached you and your dad. That's yeah. correct. What was it like to play for a high school coaching legend? Uh, it was pretty awesome, uh, knowing that, uh, especially knowing that he coached my dad, so knowing that uh, they had history there. I actually got a picture. Uh, my dad was telling him about a play, and I got the same type of picture, uh, doing the same thing, putting those together. It was kind of funny. Uh, but it was definitely good playing, uh, playing for him. I know I couldn't really mess up because either him or the whole town would let my dad know since my dad was coaching uh, at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana. So everybody always picked up the phone, let my dad know about how bad I was doing early on. <laughs> well, I hope they let him know how well you were doing when things got better. Yeah, they probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing fun facts with Akeem Davis-Gaither. When you finished high school, you were 170 pounds, not the ideal size for a college linebacker. How did that impact recruiting? Teams wanted, like, I know my junior year, Duke wanted me to be 185. And they gave me, they put me in, like, a little time scale to get that. But, I mean, my dad wasn't there. My mom, she worked two jobs, so I really didn't know nothing about nutrition. So I was just eating bad food and 
really wasn't paying too much attention about uh, my eating habits. So that, that didn't happen. But they came in, they wanted speed, and they took, uh, they took a chance on me. Appalachian State's about 35 minutes from where you grew up. You had a tremendous career there. The team won a bowl game every year you were there. What was the best part of your college experience? Uh, really just learning and growing as a, as a man and as an individual. Um, I became a father there uh, after my second, second, third year. So that was huge. And just being around those guys and uh, winning spirit. The most famous win in Appalachian State history was the upset over Michigan back in 2007, but you played a key role in an upset that was almost as big. Your senior year against North Carolina, the big school in the state, you had an interception, you blocked a game-tying field goal attempt on the final play of the game. What stands out about that day? We wouldn't call it an upset because we felt like we was the best in the state. Uh, we always feel that way. Uh, That's just the chip we carry on our shoulders. Um, but that definitely a huge win. This, uh, it was my birthday that day, too, so I definitely wanted it to be a big game. Uh, we wanted to win that game. We went in knowing that we would win that game. So uh, I think the whole game was just pretty uh, – it was a good game. I came in your senior year at App State. You suffered a stress fracture in your foot in week three. Doctor told you you could snap it if you kept playing, and that's what you did. Even though you had an NFL future, why did you choose to, uh, choose to keep playing? Just been out there, I know my guys, they was depending on me. We had two uh, freshman players um, behind me that one, one maybe one as ready to play. So the team was counting on me. I knew it possibly could be my last time playing football if the NFL didn't work out. Um, so I just wanted to give my all, and then if it, if it was the break, then I'd be done. But I wanted to go all out and give my all to that team. We've mentioned your dad. He's a college football coach, currently the wide receivers coach at Army. What are some of the most important lessons he gave you when it comes to football? He gave me a bunch. <laughs> he probably called me at the, um, every practice of the game before I even get to uh, get in the locker room. So he's always, I call him Coach Dad. That's, what, that's the name of my phone. <laughs> so he's, he's half coach, half dad. He, he definitely always coached me. But really the biggest thing he always tried to implement in my head is, just be better than what you were yesterday. And I try to strive to do that. You were named the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year, your final year at Appalachian State. Previous winners of that award include the great Demarcus Ware. What did the honor mean? And what kind of trophy or plaque do you get for being the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, it meant a lot just knowing how I started there, uh, coming in off of injury when I got there, red-shirted, didn't play as much my first Two and a half season really was a special teams guy, and this how I kept fighting. Uh, my position coach kept believing in me, pushing, pushing me to be better each day, and just working my tail off to actually contribute more to my team and getting a starting role and just keep elevating each year. Uh, so that was definitely a, a huge award for my family. Just knowing that it wasn't easy for me, <laughs> this wasn't handed to me. I had to work for, it, and then it was good for my team. Um, and the young guys uh, that's coming in behind me, knowing that the standard is set, uh, and now it's their job to keep the standard and uh, uplift it. Um, Plat we get uh, it's like a glass plat. It's pretty, it's pretty sweet. I read that you started a cleaning business in college. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And if so, describe it. Yeah, we uh, started that that summer going into my senior year. Uh, me and a, a guy on the football team and my daughter's mom. We all started that uh, that summer, 
well, really that spring. And it really took off that summer going into going into camp. So I had to really find uh, some workers so she wouldn't be dog tired. Uh, we had about three or four workers, but it got pretty pretty busy. What did you clean? Offices, houses, whatever? Really everything. We did uh, office, uh, Airbnbs, uh, apartment turnarounds, really nothing but students up there. So during the summers, I mean, everybody's moving out. So we cleaned those. We did pressure washing. Really anything you think of, we did um, all types of stuff. Hmm. A few more fun facts with Akeem Davis Gaither. As you mentioned, you're a proud dad. Your daughter is Camilla Joy. What's your favorite part of fatherhood? Definitely seeing her grow up. I, I just posted a picture yesterday when she was about, I think about five, six months at daycare. She was tiny and now she's running around, talking, saying all kinds of stuff. Uh, and just turning into a little kid. Um, it was fun. All right, a few wild card questions to wrap things up. Who is your favorite athlete in any sport and why? I'll probably say Ray Lewis. I was just being locked in to what, what, he, what he stands for, what he, do, what he does on the field and off the field. Just the energy he brings to football and to the people around him. Uh, I always try to carry myself in that, in that manner. What do you like to spend your money on? Business opportunities. <laughs> you don't have a closet full of shoes nah, or nah, electronics nah, or whatever? Nah. I mean, I got a, I got a game system, but I mean, I probably turn it on once a decade. <laughs> All right, last thing. You have a hyphenated last name, Davis mm -hmm. Gaither. Has that always been the case, or did you choose to do that? That was some idea for my dad. Since my dad, he's Gaither, my mom's Davis. Because um, uh, my dad, um, I have a few cousins, they're the last Gaither, so he just wanted wanted uh, that for himself and for my family, just so I can represent Davis and Gaither. It must have brought me some luck because once I did that, that's when football changed for me. That's when I started starting all that. It's a great way to pay tribute to both parents. Oh, yeah. Hey, you're off the hot seat. I appreciate you doing this. Best of luck the rest of the year. All right, thank you. No problem. My thanks to rookie Akeem Davis-Gaither, and here's a quick reminder to join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line, Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. Then on Wednesday night, I'll join Lap for the Bengals Game Plan Show from 6 to 8 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.